I want to start with some very simple pictures. Now answer me this. Next slide, please. You see Bruce Rampey, Tally, Rob, and Mary Hoagland. And Bob Hoagland is taking the pictures, which he usually does. You will see Mary with the pick and Bob with the camera. You'll see Mary with the shovel and Bob with the camera. Here you see Mary with the wheelbarrow and Bob with the camera. If you were to volunteer for a job, would you rather be Mary or Bob? <laughs> Mary says, I'd rather be Mary. Yes, Tally. You'd rather be Tally. You'd rather be Garrett? Mary. Okay. Good job, Tally. Question. Why would normally very sane and healthy people be outside in 90 degree heat on a perfectly good Saturday morning when they could be either out fishing, right, Shane? And, and Perry, or home sleeping, or watching Saturday morning cartoons. Why are they splitting and hauling and stacking wood in the middle of summer? And their answer would be something like this. But people that we have never met will be freezing this winter if we don't prepare for them now. People who are old or infirmed and have no other heat source other than their wood stove. What makes people do that? What makes people knit, people who otherwise wouldn't be knitting? What makes people who knit, knit beanies for preemies? For kids, they will probably never meet and will never receive a thank you for. What makes people give blood? Same deal. What makes people do meals for folks at Thanksgiving or buy gifts for folks off of Angel Tree at Christmas time? There is something weird going on here. Now, we have some amazing neighbors where we live, who do this kind of stuff just because. I was talking to one of them this morning, I said, what, or yesterday, why do you do this? And she said, because we used to work and now we're retired, we have the time to do it. I have some amazing neighbors, but they're kind of weird too. Normal people just don't do this kind of thing. I had someone at church asked me one time, people aren't nice for no reason, are they? People always want something, right? That tends to be the way of the world. The way people think or respond to those around them. I've got things to do. Things like chores. I've got things to do like hobbies and fun things. I want to do what I want to do. I deserve a break. I work hard all week. All those are true statements, by the way. Why should I sacrifice my free time 
my comfort, my sweat, my money for somebody else. Nobody's doing it for me. Well, if life is a zero-sum game, where there are limited resources, it's a closed system, there are only winners and losers, haves and have-nots, why give away what you have? If not, to get something back, something tangible, something you want or think you need. But what if it's not a zero-sum game? What if you have a guaranteed reward or inheritance, and your role, instead of being an accumulator, was to be a faithful steward of someone else's resources. And the more you use those resources wisely and generously, I just typed out wisely, and as I'm reading over my notes, I say, no, that's not enough. Because some people who are real Scrooges would say, well, I'm using someone else's resources wisely. And I thought, no, it needs to be wisely, and I wrote in in, in pen, and generously. The better your credit. And the better your inheritance when you use those resources wisely and generously. How would that change the way you play the game if you knew you had a guaranteed inheritance? That your pension was guaranteed no matter what? Doesn't matter what the stock market does. Doesn't matter what the economy does. Doesn't matter what the virus does. It just doesn't matter. Based on that reshuffling of priorities, let's begin to look at some scriptures now. First Peter chapter 1, where we finished uh, last week as we continue in this sermon series. Linking together. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. It's got your name on it. Nobody else can access it. Nobody else can hack into it. It's kept in heaven for you. <clears throat> An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Well, that sounds pretty good. But there's a hitch. Did you catch it? What's that, Bob? What's the hitch? Well, it's not here and now. It's kept in heaven for you. You can't see it, taste it, touch it, smell it right now. You have to trust that God is good for His promises. That's the whole point of the resurrection. God loves. God keeps His promises. Let's reread our verses. Back to verse 3. Praise be. Praise to God. That's what we're doing this morning. That's what we do at worship. Amen? I can't hear you. Amen? Amen? Thank you. Even through masks, I can hear you. That's awesome. Okay. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His 
great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope. New birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why do we have hope? Because of the resurrection from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven. Not on earth. We're going to get to that later on in the sermon, so stay tuned. Kept in heaven for you. It starts. The journey starts with trust. With faith in the character in the in the character and nature of God. Your faith and trust in the character and nature of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it's up on the screen. We're just going to linger there briefly. You may just want to listen. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, referring to God. For whoever would draw to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently or earnestly seek Him. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We've learned last week that we can be born again into a living... This time I want to focus on the word hope. We can be born again into a living hope. What is hope? Trustful expectation particularly with reference to the fulfillment of God's promises. Biblical hope is the anticipation of a favorable outcome under God's guidance. Like we said last week, it's not wishful thinking, well, I hope so, but the trustful expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises. Hope. Based on a rock-solid faith. Not in our ability to have faith. That's not what makes it rock-solid. Since we can start with the faith, how big? The faith of a tiny mustard seed. We can start our journey with just that much faith. But our faith is based on the faithfulness of God. So, back to that inheritance laid up in heaven for us. How can we know? How can we know that it's really there? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm letting the Bible speak. I'm just connecting the dots of Scripture. I want you to know that God's Word has answers for us. You don't need Bob to explain it because God's Word explains it. I would much rather let the Scripture speak. So Paul is talking to a church that is very near and dear to him. He spent a lot of time there. And so he's writing to them from prison. And he's just reminding them of what they did. And you also, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and you also were included in Christ. And sometime we're going to have a whole sermon about what, what does it mean to be in Christ? How do you get in Christ? What's so important about being in Christ? On Wednesday night, we're studying Colossians. And in like verse 3, he talks about being in Christ. It's pretty important. It's a concept that too often we skim right over. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, having had faith, 
having trusted, same word in Greek, folks, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, I love this next word, guaranteeing our inheritance. What did Peter talk about? That we have a living hope. We've got an inheritance. Now Paul picks up the same theme. And he says the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. What is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit in our lives? He's the comforter. He's the counselor. He guides us into all truth. He convicts the world of sin. But here, the role of the Holy Spirit is to guarantee to us our inheritance. Well, the next logical concern that would be raised or objection is, but Bob, I can't see heaven. I can't see my inheritance. And I can't see the Holy Spirit. How can I know these things? You know them by faith, not by sight. That's kind of the point, isn't it? That's what makes it faith. Now last week I was showing signs of having a recurrence of my dreaded kidney stones. That's why I taped the sermon last week. I had those kidney stones at Pepperdine some years ago. It was one of the most painful experiences of my life. And like I said, because I was feeling those symptoms Thursday, Friday, I thought, I, I, I can't be ready to give a sermon when any, at any moment my kidney stones might flare up. So I did, I did the, the, the right thing. I called the doctor Monday morning. And the earliest appointment was Wednesday. That's pretty good. You call on Monday, get in on Wednesday. By Saturday, before that Monday, my symptoms were already beginning to subside. By Wednesday, the day of the doctor's appointment, I have no symptoms at all. Of course. But I kept the appointment anyway. So I get to the doctor's office. I wait. I fill out 10,000 forms. I sit there in my mask. Breathing just like you guys are breathing now. Everybody behind the counter is wearing their mask. Doctor's offices, they really do maintain social distance. At least this one did. So the nurse guides me into the room. I go into the room. She, gives, she has these paper shorts set out. She says, change into these for the x-ray. So I change into the shorts. I so wanted to ask. Do these shorts make my butt look too big? They took an x-ray. The board behind me vibrated and wiggled, but I didn't see a thing happen. I changed back into my clothes. I talked to the doctor. You guys know the drill. The doctor asked me if I still had the symptoms. I said, no, of course not. They always go away by the time you get to see the doctor. He said, the x-ray shows no sign of kidney stones. You must have passed it. Okay? You're, you're asymptomatic. The x-ray's clean. Get out of here. I, was, I saw the doctor for probably under a minute. 
He didn't charge me either, by the way, as far as I know, other than for the x-rays. Nice guy. I didn't see, feel, taste, or touch x-rays. But by faith, I trust the doctor who read this mysterious thing in front of him from this little gun or camera that was shooting things that I couldn't see. And he says, you'll be fine. I trust him. We don't see, feel, taste, or touch the Holy Spirit, but we trust the doctor, the great physician. And we do get to see, even though we can't see the Holy Spirit, we do get to see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They're called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. We see them in our own lives and we see them in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Can you see why it's so important that we manifest these fruit of the Spirit so that other believers can look at our lives and say, see, there really is a Holy Spirit and there really is a God, and there really is a life-changing reason to have hope. So faith or trust become the basis of our hope so that now we know we have an eternal inheritance stored up for us where it is safe. The fruit of the Spirit are evidence for all of us of that inheritance. So now we are solid and secure. What, ultimate, what ultimately matters is a slam-dunk-done deal. We can serve and love not out of zero-sum game, not out of a sense of deprivation, but we can serve out of a sense of abundance. Our eternal investment portfolio is safe and secure, not subject to the vagaries of the market. But what about this life, Bob? See, I'm, I'm dealing with all of your objections. But what about in this life, Bob? I still need to function in this life. It can't all be pie in the sky when I die. True. Well, I'm sure that this will come as a shock to everybody, but Jesus has that concern covered as well. Turn with me to Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19. You knew it was coming. It was right there on the board. I'm not surprising you. All right. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's what we're supposed to do in this life, aren't we? He who dies with the most toys still dies. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what we've been talking about all morning. Where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So from all indications, we're continuing the same conversation we've been having, true? Jesus continues talking about our relationship to money and stuff in verses 22 through 24. But drop down with me to verse 25. You're welcome to read it. I'm just in the interest of being concise. Jesus picks up on our concern. We'll nicely call it concern in verse 25. He's really talking about worry. None of you are worriers, right? Isn't that why we operate from a deficit motivation? Because we're worried? Oh no, is God going to take care of me or not? Well, Jesus talks about that here. First, He talks about where our treasures are. And then He's going to talk about what we should worry about. And here's His answer. Therefore, I tell you, therefore, based on everything I've already just said, I, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food? And there's supposed to be a correct, easy, obvious answer to that question. And isn't the body more important than clothes? And looking at some of your closets, I would have to wonder. Just kidding. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than the birds? And the implied answer should be obvious. Yes, you are much more valuable than the birds. God loves the birds. This is not about God hating birds. This is about how compared to the birds, you created in God's image, breathed in with God's Spirit, possessing the Holy Spirit. How much more valuable, how much more loved are you? And yet your Heavenly Father feeds the birds. He sends just enough rain so that the worms come out of the holes in the ground. And they're crawling across the pavement. And the robin comes down and says, you're mine. The birds don't worry about it. They just get up and say, God will provide. And sure enough, he does every morning. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life is the way it reads in English. But actually in the Greek, what it says is, can add a cubit. Can any of you change your height by worrying? You might get shorter, okay? Because you affect your immunity system, et cetera, et cetera. We can go into all the biomedical stuff there. But you're not going to increase your height by worrying. So why do you worry about clothes? Really? Jesus, he's, he's looking at the crowd and he goes, tell me, you, sister. Why do you worry about clothes? Brother, brother, why do you worry about clothes? I know you do. Why do you do it? See how the lilies of the field grow? And I can just see him waving his hand and going, look, look over there. See. Use your eyes. Here's the test. See the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor. In ladies' Bible class, we've just finished reading about Solomon. And the dude was loaded. His gold had gold. 
He covered gold items with gold. What a rich guy. He had gold coming in from all over the world. And yet not even Solomon in all his splendor was arrayed like one of these lilies of the field. Bob Hoagland keeps putting pictures of lilies on Facebook. They are absolutely incredible. And they're just the lilies that grow around here. The common daylilies are gorgeous. Not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass in the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more? If you're using your own personal Bible, underline not much more. Much more. Not just a little more. Much more. Clothe you, O you of little trust. Do you have big trust or little trust? Or no trust. Verse 31, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the unbelievers, run after all these things. And it's pointless because your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's not like, oh, oh I just forgot. You know, so-and-so needs some clothes. Just skip my mind. They'll just have to go naked all week. I don't think so. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first. Instead of worrying. This is an antidote or a substitute for worrying. So instead of worrying, for all the reasons already listed, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and what will happen? All these things that you worry about will be taken care of. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough worries of its own. When tomorrow gets here, you can worry about it. In the meantime, actually, don't even worry about it then. But why worry about tomorrow? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Translation. Don't worry. God's got you covered. It's not a zero-sum game. God has resources way beyond your wildest imagination. Don't be a hoarder in this life. You've all, there used to be a TV show about hoarders. And you go in and you know you can barely walk through the house because they got stacks of newspapers going back 30 years. They just might need an article from that someday. They've got egg cartons stacked in the kitchen. And Jesus here is saying, don't be a hoarder in this life. Don't be a hoarder of stuff that only rusts and thieves can break in and steal it. Don't be a hoarder of money. You can't take it with you. And inflation's going to eat it up anyway. Don't be a hoarder of time. It's not yours anyway. It's a gift of God. When your time is up, your time is up. Whatever else you've got, don't be a hoarder of anything else. If it's not money or time or stuff, 
if you're hoarding something else, like your talents. God says, stop it. Why should you stop it? Because God says so. Not Bob. Bob is nothing. God says, stop it. Jesus, your Savior, says, stop it. Instead of being an accumulator, be a distributor of resources. And how should you do that? We've already said wisely and generously, but I want to add to it. God wants you to be a distributor of resources kindly. He wants you to be a distributor of resources sacrificially. He wants you to be a distributor of resources faithfully and humbly and joyfully with a gleam in your eye and a song of joy on your lips. And brothers and sisters, that's what we call agape love. And so you have faith. I trust God through Jesus that my sins are forgiven. And I have a living hope. And I have a living hope that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus and I have an eternal inheritance laid up for me where it can't rust and thieves can't steal it and nobody can touch it. Therefore, I'm good. So whatever else happens in this life, Jesus promises that the Father's going to take care of me. I can operate out of abundance. I can operate out of a full overflowing cup. And so I can afford, each one of us in the room can afford to be generous with our time, generous with our material resources, generous with our talents, generous with our stuff. My father passed away and I got a pickup truck. I don't have a pickup truck. It's Jesus' pickup truck. If somebody needs to borrow Jesus' pickup truck, please you know, deal with it decently and respectfully because it needs to run for a long time so that other people can borrow Jesus' pickup truck. It's not my pickup truck. I just pay the property taxes on it with resources that God provides. It's not my pickup truck. We love because He first loved us. We love based on our faith and trust in His promises. We love because of our hope. The hope we have of our eternal inheritance guaranteed for us. We love because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, transforming us into the image of Christ, which looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that takes us back to 1 Corinthians 13, which is not up on the board because I'm just quoting the tail end of verse 13. Faith, hope, and love abide or remain these three but the greatest of these based on hope and faith the greatest of these is love it really is all about the love isn't it let's pray heavenly father i thank you that i don't have to be a scrooge about my time about my money about my stuff because you promised to provide for us. And you've promised a, uh, an eternal inheritance for us. In the same way that you've forgiven our sin and canceled our debt and brought us back into fellowship with you, you are going to take care of us. That's what you've promised. And Father, if anybody's good for their word, it's you. 
There is no other guaranteed inheritance in this life. Father, help us to go with the sure thing. Help us to go with the investment that lasts for eternity. And may our lives, as we seek serving others, may that provide the happiness that all of us claim that we're looking for. Because if you want to find happiness, then help others. Father, thank you for loving us. <laughs> thank you for all the people who make delivering this message possible this morning. And thank you, Father, for giving us the health and the happiness and the resources to be here. In Jesus' name, amen.